Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, well, to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And today is a day that's been a long time coming as uh, we've spent the better part of, gosh, probably two years having dialogue around getting ready for the Social Studies Summer Project. What summer is that going to fall in? And it finally did in 2022. And here we are on the other side of what was a great really four days for our participants, six days for our coaches uh, in support of developing social studies materials for grades four through eight. And today's podcast conversation is just going to look at that work, uh, both from the systems level, what things took place to get this project started. And then our showcase really is going to be to hear from our classroom teachers who were participants who built some units of study that are going to share about what their experience was like and also the uh, units of study they created. And so I am so happy to welcome in that coach's role, Mark Brady of ESU 7, who is a professional development coordinator there. And then our classroom teachers, Tia Erickson of St. John Battle Creek Middle School, who is a history and ELA teacher there, and Elizabeth Dunn with Nebraska City Middle School, who teaches ancient history. And so welcome, welcome, welcome around the horn here as uh, we're going to have this chat. We're going to start things off, though, with Mark. Uh, We'll introduce Tia and Elizabeth more here in a little bit. But Mark, give us a little bit of your backstory and education for folks who don't know you and feel free to segue that into uh, your support here of this social study special project. Absolutely. Well, thanks for having us, Andrew. Uh, so I was a middle school social studies teacher myself. I taught seventh grade in Schuyler uh, Community Schools prior to coming to ESU 7. So I've been at the ESU for about six years now. And one of my favorite parts of my job at the ESU is that I get to support social studies teachers in our ESU 7 area. But I also get to assist with our statewide social studies cadre. And that group really helped move this project along, really, along with the TLT affiliate, the Teaching and Learning with Technology affiliate. It was kind of a partnership between the uh, SDA, uh, the Staff Development Affiliate, specifically the Social Studies Cadre, along with the TLT group. And so I've had the opportunity to to get involved uh, with the project in those ways. Absolutely. And I I love that you gave the nod to both affiliates. There's just a cross affiliate effort. Uh, It is part of why it took a while for us to arrive at what we felt like was the right framework within which to do this project, because teaching and learning with technology folks were like, yes, let's do some blended work. And the social studies cadre was, hey, we would love to do some of the social studies piece with inquiry. How do we bring these together? Uh, What does the department need? And there were surveys that went out. We found that that four through eight band was really a high needs uh, area in our social studies curriculum statewide. So ESUs came together and with NDE support and said, hey, let's do this special project. And so here we are where the aim really was to have 30 teachers, which we did create a unit of study. And to do that, we had to have our coaches train, which was last summer. We spent two days going to, I'll let Mark speak to it, C3 inquiry model, kind of frame for us, I guess, what it is that we're creating here beyond social studies units. Absolutely. So there's lots of different ways that you can utilize inquiry in the social studies classroom. Last summer, C3 teachers came and trained a group from Nebraska in a way of doing inquiry in the social studies classroom. And this project is connected to to that training. And so 
it was basically a framework. It was a, a process that we utilized then to train the teacher participants. And it's just a way to think about inquiry. It's a good introduction, really, for teachers who maybe have never done inquiry in the social studies classroom. It's a nice framework that walks them through ways to develop those units and then also gives them the tools to utilize those units of study with their students in the classroom, which is really the ultimate goal. Yeah, and having been one of the participants uh, of those 10 that took that training, when we talk about unit of study in this sense, we're really looking at something along the lines of a three to five day duration of time. And so if your perspective of a unit of study means a quarter long experience, that's not what we're talking about today. Right. Uh, these are just uh, kind of one week that we're looking at again through grades four through eight. And so to speak to their experience with that, so grateful to have Tia and Elizabeth on here today. And we're going to start with Tia. Tia, will you give us a little bit of your backstory in education, along with how you heard about this project? Yeah, um, I went to Concordia, Nebraska in Seward, and a lot of the training there, that was where I got my K-8 to education, but then I focused on English in the middle school. And so I was blessed enough to get a job at St. John Battle Creek, where I essentially got to split English and history with another teacher. And that was super awesome to bounce ideas off of each other for both subjects. And that really helped a lot. So we're always just encouraged to kind of lean into those ESU groups and they've proved to be super helpful. I'm, we're part of ESU 8 here in Battle Creek. And so I had seen that they had a training on inquiry and social studies and I like things to be hands-on in my classroom. And I thought that inquiry would be a really good way to kind of hit that. It turned out to be way better of an experience than I even thought it would be. Um, I went for the first day and kind of got just a day's training and I pretty much had half a unit by the time I went back for my civics class and I called it why vote. And so we went through just the history of voting policies in the United States and kind of looked at how that maybe has been a struggle for people in the past or like why people vote and why they don't. And I ran through that unit with my eighth graders towards the end of the year last year. And they had so many authentic conversations and none of their projects were the same. And so I really was interested in this. And then I got an email about some further training that we could get for it. And I absolutely signed up. So it was just really cool to see how engaged the students could become and how how authentic their conversations became and how much more they leaned into civil action and just history of the United States in general. Uh, and I know, and Mark can probably speak to this better than I can, that a focus of this type of work where a question is posed and the learners are really out there exploring and, and listening to different perspectives and arriving at their own interpretation a little bit of those historical events uh, to help us with, I think, developing learners who can then hold civil discourse and entertain ideas outside of what, of their own, right? Like it's always, I love that quote, it's a mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain an idea without having to accept it. And I think that this structure allows for that to happen a little bit. Am I wrong, Mark, with that, I guess? No, I, and I, I think his response. Some of my favorite uh, components and I guess features of these inquiry units of study, one is that it examines these questions from multiple perspectives, which is which has a huge presence in our social studies standards. And so we're able to take a look at an issue that we might take a look at in the social studies classroom and just say, how might these affect different people groups and how might um, 
this event be viewed differently? And so I think that's really interesting for teachers guiding students, but then also for students learning. And I think, you know, Tia's question of why vote uh, sparks just curiosity. And we want our students to be curious in the social studies classroom, just like we'd want them to be curious in any classroom. And, uh, you know, it's a great question. Let's dive into why is it important to vote? And there's lots of different things that we could expose them to, to learn about that question and to learn about the importance of voting. And really quickly bouncing off of that is one of my eighth graders got done and she goes, we didn't even use the textbook. And it was like this just realization that you can have those those civil conversations and explore ideas without the textbook telling you what to think and getting those multiple perspectives and touching primary sources and, you know, reading and looking at pictures that kids don't get to see in textbooks. I think it's so awesome. It's totally new and different, way more engaging for sure. Well, I know Elizabeth's got to be chomping at the bit to jump in here too. So uh, I love the passion, I love the framing of this as a topic too, and so grateful for that, uh, and would invite Elizabeth to introduce herself uh, and maybe share a little bit about her backstory, not only in education, but with getting involved with the special project. I'm Elizabeth Dunn, and I teach sixth grade social studies at Nebraska City Middle School. And ever since the change of the standards, that means I'm teaching ancient history. I've been teaching, this is my 20th year. Um, so I, I have a, a years of experience and in multiple different areas of study. I've taught different histories, math, writing, even a fourth grade really early. So I've got to teach them that Nebraska history, which is, which is one of my faves. Most recently, before I was in the social studies classroom, these last five years, I was in the science classroom. And I really think that that is where I started practicing the, those inquiry ideas with my students. So in terms of professionally, I already had some experience with inquiry because it's really a very good way, the best in my personal opinion, on how to teach science is forming questions or that phenomenon, which I can never say that word, but you know, there's mysterious things that, that kids are seeing and how we can kind of figure out uh, an explanation to them. I think philosophically inquiry really fits how I want to approach education, my own learning, my, my personal children's learning, my students' learning, trying to figure it out on their own and looking for answers outside of say a textbook, just being the, the curious person I am, loving archaeology and paleontology. So as I step back, I'm teaching ancient history. It's really hard to find primary sources for ancient history, not in the same sense you would find for like an American history. So yeah, um, we can find some, but context is really difficult. So I really approach my social studies classroom as really archaeologists. Um, what, are we, what artifacts can we find? What might that tell us? And I guess another really good point about ancient history is that sometimes there isn't an exact answer. There's a lot of, well, it could be this or it could be that. And I think that really empowers students, especially at the middle school level, where there are a multitude of possibilities. So my connection to the project really came from ESU4. I used to do 
quite a few presentations and support ESU for with my science work. And I asked to stay on for science. And so I get my, I get my emails from both the science department and the social studies department. So anytime Lori sends something, I'm checking it out. Um, I'll be honest, especially if payment or compensation is offered. I'm just going to be honest as a teacher. We do a lot of hard work and being appreciated and respected and valued for the work that we do is always, always a bonus. So she sent that email and I hopped on it right away. Wow. Okay, Elizabeth, I'm following that up for sure then because, well, one, I do want to give a nod to all the amazing coaches that we had uh, as a part of this experience and more voices than we have on the podcast today, but certainly want to give a shout out to Lori Brody, as you mentioned. She was on the podcast previously with Nick Ziegler, who is that TLT blended learning representative as part of this project who presented in the in-person days. And then Katrina Gottschall, who would be the contact for Tia, I'm sure, uh, at ESU 8 along with Don Fiera, uh, who's at ESU3 and led the inquiry training. And to, to Elizabeth's point, I want to thank all of our ESU administrators because it took all 17 ESU signing off on this as a special project to fund it. And I know the heart behind this was to say, let's make sure that our teachers are compensated well for their time. Uh, and it certainly um, was their intent from the start, Elizabeth, to recognize that and really thank you all for being a part of this, not only for your own professional development, for the, but also for the production of resources that we can share with everyone else. Uh, and so that's just really encouraging to hear that that was your experience. And it certainly was the heart behind some of that also. It was... Um... I almost got choked up on the last day um, because I spoke to that in front of everybody. Just it's really refreshing to be treated like a professional. And that's really what we did. We put out some really awesome materials that I'm super excited to use in my classroom. We have great teachers in Nebraska. And I think another exciting aspect of this project is that these uh, instructional materials were written by our Nebraska teachers. And I hope that these units will will be just a great asset to teachers who weren't even involved in the project because they're able to be used in classrooms across the state. There's sources that are linked in there. As Elizabeth mentioned, it can be really difficult to find good sources for some of these topics that we're teaching in social studies. Well, a great component of our inquiry units is that those sources are linked in and, and they're high quality. We've talked about aspects and components of high quality sources. And so teachers can access these units, they can access the sources, and hopefully it'll be a time saver in their planning, but also will be just beneficial as they use with their students. Oh, absolutely. And so let's dive in here to the actual experience itself, which was two days of Zoom training and then two days of in-person where we got a chance to kind of follow up and really have those one-on-one small group sitting across the table from a person and really diving into the work dialogue. And so let's... um, Tia, I'll invite you to go first here. Can you just speak to what your experience was? Let's start with the the inquiry training, just learning about that C3 framework and extending what you had already started doing a little bit with in your own classroom. Yeah, so I I thought the Zoom training was good because I got to make my own pot of coffee and it was only for me. And I personally enjoyed that. (laughs) So Zoom training was okay. I can sit on my comfy couch, you know. But no, it was a really good training, I thought, because it took us through not only like how to build an inquiry unit, but we got to go through different aspects of it. And I thought it was really cool that we got to look at primary sources together in a small group 
And I believe that we were grouped by grade level or something to that effect. And that is that is where I had the most fun because you could talk about like what your kids would say or and, you know, middle school teachers love to mock middle schoolers. We're really good middle schoolers. We just, you know, grew up a little bit. And so it was really cool to see like how to analyze a primary source and what type of questions to ask and how those questions could be incorporated into different questions and different sources. So that was my favorite part about the Zoom training, learning together with other teachers for sure. And there were some things that we were totally confused about. And then we would go back to the big group and ask the questions. And Don did a great job at helping us ask questions and just kind of reiterating in other ways how to do that. So that was really nice. Elizabeth, did you have a... Yeah, I enjoyed the Zoom sessions as well. My two favorite things from the Zoom sessions were, one, just the method in which it was taught. There was a lot of thought put into the resources and planning the lessons in a sense. So many of the the methods and the tools, especially the tech tools that they use were ones that I was thinking, ooh, I want to use that in my classroom. So I felt I learned a lot just with how it was presented. In terms of Zoom, excellent job running the Zoom meeting. Those can be really painful, but they can also be really engaging if the moderator knows how to work a Zoom meeting, right? And then the other thing is something that Tia kind of spoke to was just the opportunity to meet with other teachers, both in the Zooms and in person. I loved the variety of teachers that we had in terms of where they were from. It was great to have an experience with teachers from even more rural communities than my own, and then teachers from our larger cities as well. Don did a great job, I feel, of organizing the the Zoom training. Two days on Zoom, as you mentioned, Andrew, can be a challenge. There's different things to consider when you're planning to facilitate uh, with a larger group over Zoom. But one of the benefits of holding the training over Zoom was just logistically. We had uh, participants spread out across the state. In this project, we had 30 teachers that submitted a completed inquiry unit. But another benefit of hosting that initial training over Zoom is that we were able, able to open up that training to teachers who weren't necessarily involved in the project itself where they were going to be submitting a finished unit, but they just wanted to learn a, bit, a little bit more about inquiry and social studies. And so we were able to row our group of 30 to about a group of 50 teachers from across the state. So that was just another benefit of having that initial foundation training over Zoom. So glad that you went there because that was going to be my next point as well, that we actually had the opportunity to... Uh, impact more educators than we thought we might to begin with because of that. And I can't say enough about Dawn's efforts and facilitation of those two days as those were exceptional and really got us ready for the two days of in-person. And so then following that, we had two different sites where our participants split and it really became more about uh, 20 teachers were in Lincoln and about 10 were in Wayne and got a chance to just have those in-person days. And so um, kind of same order here then again, Tia, if you would, uh, we speak to your experience with the in-person. Yeah. What I really appreciated both with the in-person and on the Zoom was the work time. I think that's something that you don't always get with teacher personal development. Like you go and you get all these like new implementations, but you're not really prepared to do them when you get back to school. And like, even when I did the training with ESUA with Katrina, we had work time and I I had half of that inquiry done before I even stepped out of the building that day. And then, so over Zoom, we had a lot of work time and I was really appreciated and Mark crushed it with getting everybody to where we needed to be and ask questions. And then also in person, it was just really nice. I walked in there with a pretty good template and I sat down, I think next to everybody 
at different points in the day. And I was like, so what do you think? And they were very specific feedback, which is something I don't think we get all the time as teachers and when we're planning. So the in-person was totally awesome. Like I would take all the study halls I could get in my life and I got them and they were great. And we got to work together on those. I thought it was really cool. One thing that I really appreciated was just the list after list after list of resources to go through or go to for primary sources and like jam boards. What if you like jam boards, then you go, you know, to all of these different tools and things to use. And then by the end, we were all talking about what we we're using and where we were going and what our topics were. And that was super cool. And Elizabeth, what would you say your experience was kind of to play off of Tia's remarks there? Uh, I had the opportunity to work for two days at History Nebraska in Lincoln, which is a wonderful facility to really kind of get your mind engaged on working in terms of history. Great spot. And uh, Jessica was a great host and the rest of her team as well. I enjoy, like Tia said, I think the work time. In terms of what Tia said, a lot of times we're giving great ideas and yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take this into my classroom. I can't wait. But the time to work behind the scenes to get ready to implement is often short. So we were given hours worth of time to do our work, to investigate, to ask each other questions, to ask Mark and the other leaders like Lori, who was there, questions, what do you think? Uh, Lori has a lot of experience with inquiry, so went to her quite a bit and said, you think this is on the right track? And just as Tia was saying, our one pager that was already kind of built as our starting point, that just built throughout the day with teachers saying, ooh, I've used this before, this is great, it's great for finding primary sources, and it maybe wasn't on there, so they pop it up there. And now, not only is the work that we created amazing, and it's gonna be there for us to use, but that one pager is a hot ticket. So that one needs to go out to teachers as well. And there's so many great things on there. Love your enthusiasm and support of that. And so if this is right, what I'm hearing you say is that the Zoom training put sort of the skeleton together and those next two days were sort of the meat on the bones that fleshed the entire thing out to where it kind of came to life. Um, yeah. We got heads nodding in the, the Zoom here. So <laughs> I'm assuming that's kind of how that played out. And uh, and so now I'm sure everybody's wondering, Tia, Elizabeth, what did you create? What was your unit about? And so we'll kind of keep this order going, Tia. Tell everyone what they can expect to find when they access that one pager. All right. So my focus was kind of merging at the end of seventh grade, getting the kids ready for civics. And so my inquiry question, you know, your big question that you really want to hook kids with was what makes people resist. And so we are going back and we're looking at apartheid in South Africa. And with a lot of that, how people resisted and looking at primary sources and also the word apartheid, just looking at pictures for that and being able to put a large vocab word with a lot of pictures and a lot of moving parts just for kids to be able to analyze that completely. So that, yeah, the apartheid question was my first supporting question. Then we march over to the United States and we talk about Jim Crow laws and how people resisted those. So we're looking at these different ways of resistance. And then we're, we're asking the question, what do peaceful protests look like? What were the good parts? What were the bad parts of how people have resisted in history, which I think is an important piece 
especially in the last, I think, four or five years, like kids have seen things that we never imagined, but there there's connection there. And I think that's so cool when a kid can draw connections from a country in Africa to the United States and maybe not parallel them, but also to find differences, similarities, governments, where's the government playing a role in all of that. My favorite part of this unit is we listen to Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech. And I know that when you when I just I just can't wait for the moment in my classroom when we do it next year. And I guarantee all the kids are gonna look at me with big buggy eyes and be like, holy cow. Like we've heard this before, but putting we're putting so many new primary sources in different light. And I think asking the right question and kids are asking themselves, well, why did I resist that? Why do I resist the rules in my house? Why do I resist when we can't have recess after lunch? And they get to explore those questions through social studies and learn through them and just make connections to history. And I think that's so awesome seeing pictures and my last supporting question, what does a peaceful protest look like? Kids see a lot of things just through technology and through their videos and even shows. And I think it's important as teachers to point them just in a peaceful direction, I guess. And as social studies teachers, we don't want them to uproot and resist and cause protests or anything like that, but actually asking those questions and understand what's going on around them and why people are doing what they do and having a purpose for that. And I think this unit does such a good job at capturing all of that and making them think. Wow. I'm going to tell you, I've got a going to be sixth grader that I would love for her to be able at some point in her education to go through an experience like that. That sounds amazing to you. So thank you you so much for your efforts with that. Again, these units of study are going to be made available to everyone. And so if you wanted to check out Tia's work, uh, we'll certainly point you uh, to those resources in the show notes. And we'll talk more about that later. But up next, Elizabeth, your inquiry unit of study, what topic did you focus in on? Um, somehow, I don't remember the path, but probably through our discussions on Zoom, a group of sixth grade teachers ended up coming up with, um, was Hammurabi's code of laws fair? And there are so many bits and pieces of this that work so well for sixth grade. For one, fairness. Middle schoolers are very concerned about fair, particularly when it comes to their own lives, right? So I knew that this idea of fair would be a really good hook because as Tia spoke to, these kids have seen a lot. And I think that maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I see younger children pointing out inequities that maybe children would not have noticed before, or maybe I just didn't know that children were still noticing those things. Maybe not just noticing them, but also pointing them out. So this idea of fairness, I think as kids expand their world through social media, they are seeing more and more examples of fairness outside of their own lives as well, or unfairness. So it's seeing why certain people are living in a different way than, than they are, or how certain situations people might be treated differently than they would in this idea of fairness. So again, ancient history is sometimes really hard to make connections with to 11-year-olds. You know, I have some 10, 11, 12-year-olds. It's a really long time ago. It's BC. The numbers don't even go the right direction, right? They're still trying to learn negative numbers. 
and, and try, I actually do a lot of math lessons in my history lessons as well, trying to explain how long it's been. Um, so I went with the direction of starting with who Hammurabi was, what his role was in ancient Babylon. We talked quite a bit about social classes. I try to hit all of my units of study, which are based on ancient civilizations. I try to attack that with grapes. So my kids have experience with the social structure component, but what does that mean when it's a social class? And then we went into examples of law and consequences. So one of the things that just happened as a byproduct, and I, it's not in the lesson, but somebody who had the time or the just right maybe timing in terms of what's going on in our world, I'm thinking maybe Constitution Day or something like that, but the connection to laws in the United States today and how Hammurabi's code is really a basis for a lot of laws in countries around the world and in particular the United States. As a matter of fact, our capital has a carving of Hammurabi in it right above some, I can't remember what, well, I think it's right above the uh, house chambers. And there's carvings of all people who have influenced um, law throughout history. And I was able to find uh, an image of Hammurabi. So great connection for, for current events as well. Um, all the activities that were created within the inquiry unit really focus on all different modes and modalities. They are defining words, defining the word fair. Um, I like kind of debating the definition of words that are maybe a little bit flexible, something like fair. They have sorting, they have observation skills. So not only are they learning social studies content, obviously, but just doing those basic skills that kids need for every, every classroom. And developing questions. I do think that this unit in particular leads to a lot of more questions. And actually that's what I like so much about inquiry is that if you're doing a really good job as a teacher and as a student, you should have more questions as you go along. So sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming for students and for teachers when we end up having more questions than answers. But this unit, I think, opens up a lot more questions that go down on their own path. Wow. I so encouraged by listening uh, to both of you share these examples, uh, not only for those as standalone, but really to, you know, I, I think that it is tempting sometimes in listening to this to go, wow, what a deviation from the norm. But I like what you shared there too, and that it, yeah, it's not just that it's different, but it, but that it's necessary. We're inciting curiosity, that we're teaching learners how to press further into a topic and really try to get to the bottom of that. And that these questions aren't just, I'm going to ask you this question on Monday, tell me on Friday what your answer is, that there is a progression that adds real depth to not only their thinking, but then the depths to which they need to access those primary sources and look at those critically. And yes, wow, that's what we're after with. I'm like, I'm oh, the like classroom practitioner in me is just geeking out right now. I just like can't even tell you. So um, that means, I mean, I'm excited about the fact that this is at this time being turned into this polished collection. Uh, Tia, what are your thoughts knowing that there's going to be 29 more units of study developed by Nebraska teachers out there, just like the one you created? Super exciting. 
Uh, I already told our fourth grade teacher who teaches Nebraska history about one of them that we heard a lot about when we were in training. And she goes, that sounds really cool. And I was like, I'll send it to you. You know, like we do, I think as teachers, I think this is such a good resource that like we're already talking, we're already sharing. Why not take a load off kind of and make it accessible and easy and worth everybody's time, I think. Andrew, I might uh, say here that especially at the end of our Lincoln on-site days. Again, as Elizabeth said, we were at History of Nebraska and Lincoln. Uh, we took some time for teachers to kind of go around the room and to share compelling questions, give a commercial. Each teacher had an opportunity to share about their unit. And it was just so funny to hear from others in the group. They'd be like ooing and eyeing as uh, yeah. they would hear the compelling questions. They were not only excited to use their own unit that they've created, but they were excited to access the units that other teachers created as well. So that was really fun for me uh, to hear myself as well like how often do you leave a professional development day and the last thing you do is like who this is great <laughs> you know <laughs> you're like all usually it's not anything like that so lots of oohs and ahs and i think that that excitement is imperative both for your colleagues right and, and your students i'm sure that in terms of effect size that teacher excitement for the topic is on that list and fairly high. Because if we're coming in jazzed about it and sharing with our colleagues about what we're what we're learning and you should do something like this, that's what really good professional development is all about. It's taking it back to our colleagues and, and to our students and being excited about it. I I don't know what more I could say. <laughs> right. I that's it. And I don't have goosebumps sitting here talking about it. And I I think that's a good note to kind of bring things to a close on what you can expect for those of you that are listening in is for uh, the ESUCC.org site, which is a group that I am employed by and the podcast is sponsored by. Uh, there will be a page there where you can access Mark and I's video, actually, Mark walking through the Nebraska Social Studies shifts and the standards. It'll talk a little bit about inquiry. It will give you the opportunity to find the direct link to take you to the Nebraska OER where you can access these one pager units of study, uh, all 30 of those in that collection. And so we're loading those as we speak in uh, as quickly as we can. There's also a place there for you to request the training. And so if you're a Nebraska institution and you would like to have the Zoom inquiry training days and cut that into 20 segments uh, that really chunk that by topic. And so we can't make that available to everyone, but we can do that on request for Nebraska educators. And so there's a place for you to submit to receive that, uh, along with checking out this podcast and the one we did in January to just frame this as a story. And so before we close, and before I thank the folks that are on here and have just done a phenomenal job with sharing out what this experience was like, I do want to give a nod to Deb Pullman of ESU 16, who was a real champion of this work, um, particularly in that group of administrators who, as I alluded to earlier, unanimously supported this as an initiative. And so kudos uh, to her and to all of them for their vision in recognizing this as an effort worth making an investment in and carrying it out. Uh, and you're hearing the fruits of, of that decision today and, and the commitment to that from the leadership uh, all the way through to the teachers. And so uh, Mark, Tia, Elizabeth, Thank you for being on the pod today and for all your great work in helping to create these resources for all of us to share. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.